Baruch Atad, Yinayi Lehenim Lechelam, Shehakol Nebidvare. Chaim, everybody, to life. Chaim. So we continue the weekly journey. Welcome, Michael. The weekly journey together, the Parsha of the week. Often the, uh, the Parsha of the week would be a double one, Vayakel and Pekude, being that it's a leap year. So Vayakel is a separate Parsha. And it continues with um, the all-important story of the Mishkan, the home for God, that would eventually become the base of Mikdash, the Holy Temple, as we all know in Jerusalem, as uh, some people want to um, say that it's, you know, was never there. We know that it was there, not because uh, of history, but... Um, because when the Torah speaks, it speaks to us personally, as we will see. So the question, there's a debate, what is the centerpiece of the Mishkan? So there's a debate between Rambam and Ramban, Maimonides or Nachmanides. Rambam, I'm sure many of you are familiar because we learn Rambam every day, right? Nachmanides came afterwards. He uh, was a leader, jury in Spain. And after having a um, confrontation that he was forced to have a debate with um, actually an apostate who was one of his students, former students uh, of uh, Christianity and Judaism. He uh, had to flee from Spain and lived out and passed away in 1263 in Israel. So what is their, bait, their d- debate? What is the centerpiece of the, of, the, of the Mishkan? The Rambam says that the centerpiece, the most important element, is that it is set for sacrifices to be brought on the outer altar, where you would bring as we've learned actually recently, not too long ago, in Rambam, bringing sacrifices um, on the, on the uh, outer altar. Ramban says that the, the most important element was the Aaron, which the Ark of the Covenant, and the Torah that was there. That was the most important. So Rebbe says... In reality, they're not really arguing, accentuating perhaps what is you know, more primary. But as we will see, that really um, the similar, I'm not, I don't know, similar is right there, accenting different elements. And the truth is, to appreciate that, we need to understand that the, the Mishkan, uh, is really about us. Why do I say that? Is because in Parsha's Truma, when we first, when the command was first given, what does it say? Asuli mikdash, God commands, make for me a sanctuary, the shechanti b'seicham, and I will dwell amongst them. What do you mean them? What's who's the them? 
So as Rashi says, bring from the sages, that he, God will dwell amongst each and every single one of us. So ultimately the sanctuary is about the dwelling of God, his presence, his connection to us, um, and um, our relationship with him. So in that relationship, we have two elements. We have that which the Rambam says the main element is bringing the offerings on the outer altar. And the Rambam says that the main thing is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. That's the main thing. Now, in light of that, we can see something very interesting. And we'll go over, share the screen. Okay, here we are. So the major says, as you can see before you, let me make it a bit larger, easier to read perhaps. Okay, well, that's clearer. Oh, there we go. Okay, when God constructed, instructed Moshe to construct the Mishkan, Moshe related this to Bezalel. Bezalel was the head architect. He was the headmaster of putting everything together. So Bezalel asked Moshe, what is the purpose of the Mishkan? Moshe responded, a Mishkan is for God to rest his presence in it and to teach Torah to the Jewish people. Betalel asked, where will the Torah be placed? So Moshe replied, when we build the Mishkan, we will build an ark. So what is he saying? We're going to first build a Mishkan, and then we will build the ark, and the ark will be where the Torah is placed, right? Continues the conversation. Betzalel said to Moshe, it is not respectful to the Torah to, be, to build the ark after the construction of the Mishkan. Rather, we should first fashion the ark and then construct the Mishkan. So Moshe says, first make the Mishkan, and then you'll make the ark, and the ark will be the place for the, for the Torah. But he says, no, it seems not to be appropriate that we should do it in that manner. He says, first, really, she will make the ark, and therefore the Torah will have a place, and then construct the Mishkan. As a result, the Tzalo merited that the ark is referred to with his name, as the verse says, the Tzalo made the ark. The Tzalo, uh, the ask, the Tzalo is Aaron, he made the ark. So this is, again, the Medrash in, from this week's Parsha, right? Which seems a little bit puzzling. Um, it would seemingly, seemingly make more sense to make the Mishkan first. It's like you, know, you make a home first, right? And then you bring in the furniture. The Ark is, so to speak, I mean, to use uh, maybe inappropriate terms to call it furniture. It's not furniture, you know. But if you were to use the metaphor of creating a home, then you bring in, you know, the goods, the, the articles of the home, right? So first you need to make the Mishkan, like Moshe says, and then fashion the Ark 
but it seems to be no. That uh, it, he says it's disrespectful. Well, why is it disrespectful? What makes it inappropriate to do that? Um, we need to understand. Is that clear? Any questions? Good. So what it seems to come out from here is that there's two elements. There's the Mishkan, and then there's the Ark, which is a place for the Torah. So there seems to be two elements over here. And the question is, you know, what's for, what comes first? What comes second? What is more primary? What is more secondary? It seems to be the issue. Uh, what comes out from this? Okay. So as we mentioned, that God said, make for me a, a sanctuary and I will dwell. I will dwell amongst the Jewish people. So, of course, this then has to relate back to the Jewish people and our relationship with God that is embodied in a Mishkan and an Arai. Or the main part of the Mishkan, as the Rambam would say, is the um, the outer altar where you bring offerings, or as the Ramban would say, Nachmanides, the Ark, which is the Ark of the Covenant for and that holds the Torah. So if we understand in our relationship with Hashem, right, um, the components to that relationship, then we'll have a better idea of the debate or the discussion over here between Moshe and Aaron, and also between the Rambam and the Ramban. Are we clear? Yeah, folks? Are we clear? Questions? Yeah, folks? Oops. Let me close this off. <laughs> just following along <laughs> okay that's great if that's all you're doing then you're doing well <laughs> anything less than that that's not good yeah, it explains itself a little bit because um the mishkan were different boxes who were put, who were put together and um that's always protected from the Ark and protected from the outer Mishkan and then from the inner Mishkan and then from the inner Mishkan that uh, explains itself that the Mishkan is more important because when the Mishkan... Oh, wait, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure, Michael, are you trying to figure out the question? No, it's explains, <laughs> it's, it's explains itself because when the Mishkan is built out of different... Uh, Parts where you wish you can put together, it shows that uh, the inner, the inner is uh, more important because box and box and box. Okay, I hear you. Okay, so we're going to leave that for a moment, and we're going to now um, to understand everything that we just brought up. We need to understand our relationship with Hashem, right? Now, of course, 
we're all familiar that our relationship with Hashem is uh, ultimately something that he allows that we can have a relationship with him. And that relationship is um, based on Torah and mitzvahs, of course, right? We study Torah, as we're doing now, we observe mitzvahs, and that builds the relationship. What is the distinction between Torah and mitzvahs? How do we understand that in building the relationship, the distinction between them? So the Alter Rebbe, as we've learned in Tanya before, tells us there are two types of souls. The souls of Torah scholars who engage in study all of their lives and the souls of mitzvah observers. Now, of course, we, we, we do both, no doubt about it. You know, you can't have one without the other. But uh, uh, there in that part of Gersa Kedish, speaking about, you know, what is the main path that some people take, some it's more they're engaged in Torah study, and others, the mitzvahs are integral. So what is unique about Torah study in the relationship with Hashem? So we've learned this many times before. The Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, the fifth chapter, says the mind perceives and understands an intellectual subject. It grasps the subject and encompasses it. The subject becomes grasped and encompassed by the mind that understood and perceived it. Even during the course of study, before the mind fully grasps the subject, the mind is invested in the subject. For example, when we clearly and thoroughly understand and comprehend a particular law in the Mishnah or Talmud, or like when we learn Maimonides or Tanya, through strenuous application of our minds, our minds grasp and encompasses that law and are invested in it while we study it in the form of laws that he laid before us. So what, when we're studying Torah, what are we, under, what are we getting? The will and the wisdom of God right? It is, uh, becomes literally um, our will or our wisdom, right? It's something that becomes uh, intimately understood, intimately because it's inside of us. It's within us. Our minds get it, right? And as the measure says, Oops, sorry, forgot a paragraph over here. Since the law is the wisdom and the will of God, okay, when we comprehend the matter, we comprehend and uh, grasp God's will and wisdom. No mind can grasp God's will and wisdom except when his will and wisdom are invested in the form of the laws that he laid before us. Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> I read the laid uh, out before us, and here it also says the same thing. And so I thought we finished it. And I had to, okay. What does that mean? It means like this The uniqueness of Torah is that God is infinite, 
his wisdom is infinite and we have no way to have a relationship with the infinite uh, wisdom of God, except God in his humility. He brought it down, contracted it or, or condensed it, the infinite wisdom into, Torah, into the Torah, into the wisdom of the Torah. So that when we grasp an idea of Torah, when we're learning Rambam, we're learning Tanya, and we grasp an idea, what we're grasping is the mind of God. And not only are we grasping the, the mind of God, but it is as if, as the Medjus tells us, pour your heart out like water in God's presence, says Lamentations. The sages derive from this verse that whenever a, a scholar sits down and engages in Torah study, God is sitting across from him and reading along. Our verse here states in God's presence, Neichach, and, uh, and in different verses states that he camped across Neichach from each other. Just as the word Neichach in the latter verse means that we're facing each other, so should it be interpreted in the former verse. So there's two things happening here. The wisdom, so well, in a sense, you know, think about it for a moment, you know. We're facing each other, whoever, whoever has cameras on especially, you know, we're facing each other, <laughs> right? What does it mean we're facing each other? We see each other, right? Face to face, right? Eyes to eyes, right? Eyes is the window of the, uh, to the soul. So there's an inner connection that's made. And that inner connection is that we're able to grasp the infinite wisdom of God. So that's a very powerful and, and intimate idea that you can have that in your life. It's a, and, and I'm sure that uh, often it happens to you that when you study Torah, it's, um, it's like a, a, a fire that allows us to, if you study it well, that nothing can penetrate, just like a fire, you know, nothing can penetrate it. Nothing can, well, I shouldn't say nothing can penetrate. Obviously you can douse it with water, but it, it, it's, it's powerful energy. So likewise, there's a powerful energy that we feel as a result of the study of Torah. Why is that? It's because the infinite wisdom of God is now a part of us that creates a fire, a flame in us that we are, I don't know, invincible is not the right word, but uh, it's so strengthening, so empowering from within because of this infinite quality that we uh, engage in that it, it's the most powerful thing. We're united in one in a, in a deep bond, just like, well, even more than, than that, because in the mind, there's two, there's a bond over here. It's interesting. It's like when you sit across from a person and you, someone that you love and care for and you, and you discuss, and the more you discuss with them, the more you understand them, the more they, you know, they, they become a part of, of you from the inside because you understand and you have from that understanding a greater, deeper uh, a bond and a love towards them because you're facing each other, sharing with each other. So it's like God facing each other. We're, we're facing God when we're learning and we're not just facing each other, but taking in that wisdom 
and it becomes a part of us. And it's a beautiful oneness that we have as a result. And that's, of course, very gratifying, right? L'chaim. So in, in a human relationship, what would that be? Actually sitting with someone that you care about and, you know, talking, relating, discussing, you know, not the weather or COVID, you know, other things. <laughs> a value of meaning. And you gain another layer of depth of appreciation of, the, of that person, that beloved and it becomes internalized. You feel more connected. You feel a deeper bond as a result. So that's the idea of face-to-face -face of the Torah, and that it's becoming a part of you, the divine wisdom of God, that you integrate and becomes a part of you. So human relations can be that, you know, personal connection that you, you get your um, beloved more deeply that it creates a deeper bond. Any questions? So that's one thing. That's the uniqueness of Torah, right? But then there's mitzvahs. So what are mitzvahs? Um, mitzvahs are God's thing that he needs from us right there is a natural inner desire that I want to know another uh, someone that you care for you want to know them better right so you have a conversation, you can know them better, right? That's my need. There's a need of the soul. There's a need of the soul that wants to know God. The soul wants that. And we want that as a result. So we come here to learn, right? We come to learn. But then there is... What God needs, his needs, so to speak. Now, the truth is he needs us to study Torah too. And, you know, that's true. But it's primarily, in a sense, it's more about the, uh, you know, the, in, it's more about the fulfillment of the thirst that the soul has in wanting to connect. Mitzvahs, on the other hand, are God's thing. What he needs from us. I don't need tefillin. I don't need Shabbos candles. God needs it. It's his thing that he wants, right, that I happily do. Right, but it's not the not what my soul wants. 
um, it is, I, I, it's a wrong thing to say, the soul does want to because it's a reflection of the soul, but it's not intr as intrinsic as the thirst to connect with mind and heart through Torah. The mitzvah is about actions taken in this world that we put aside perhaps what we want to do what God wants, to put on the tefillin, to light Shabbos candles, to eat this and not that. Right? Let's uh, see this inside. Rashi says in the Gemara, God gave us commandments to show that we are his loyal servants who observe his commandments and decrees. It's his things. Even those that are evil inclination, other nations challenge us about saying, why is this commandment necessary? We sacrifice and we do that which God needs from us. So as the Rebbe explains in this week's or, or sorry, in a mimer, that Torah and God are one. As Tanya teaches, through studying Torah, we become united with God, the giver of the Torah, in an incredible and unparalleled, unparalleled union. Certainly, in as much as Torah study leads us to the great lofty experience, it is an enjoyable experience. So that's the first part that we spoke about earlier, Torah. Mitzvah observance, by contrast, right, is a material exercise. Mitzvahs are observed with phys physical objects that are outside of ourselves. Their observance requires us to surrender ourselves and descend from our level from great heights to a deep pit, from the faculty of intellect to the faculty of action, the lowest faculty we possess. A number of Hasidic discourses point out that even, even animals possess the faculty of action. And in this regard, we bear no advantage over them. For this reason, Torah study is an enjoyable experience while the mitzvah observance is primarily an element of submission to God's will. It's an interesting idea over here, right? So Torah, because it takes in the intelligence of the person, right, um, is something that drives us more because that's what makes us human, is our intelligence. Mitzvahs, by contrast, are about actions. Well, animals can do actions too, right? Uh, not to say that the actions are animal-like actions. That's not the point. The point is that actions is the lowest thing in the human construct. Actions, right? I can pick up a cup. Okay, they, uh, so maybe a monkey could pick up uh, this mug or something like that. You know, maybe, uh, I don't think a cow could do it, or even a dog could do it, right? Fine. But the point is that, uh, you know, action is the lowest, um, the lowest thing for the human, not the, not the lowest in value. In the human condition, it's the lowest thing that there is of humanness to engage in, right? What's the next level? Is speech. What's after that? Thought. What's greater than that? 
emotions. And what's the greatest? Intelligence. Hi. So to engage in intelligence is the highest form of human thing to do. To engage in your intelligence to know God, whoa, that's sublime. To merely, you know, do an action of putting something on, not, not how God views it and it's his mitzvah. I'm not talking about that. The act that we do it. Think about it. You know, in, in, in the human activity, it is the least, you know, meaningful activity. Not the result of the activity. And not that's important to God. I'm talking about action, activity. It's the least meaningful. Now, maybe that activity will get you, you know, if you do a certain activity, it's going to get, get you great wealth. Or if you do a certain activity, it's going to make you, uh, you know, um, a good friend because of the activity that you did. You know, you did an action to, for your friend and, you know, your, your friend is enamored with you, right? That's the consequence of it. I'm talking about the activity itself is an act that is the, 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 the least um, using our qualities of our soul, of our personhood. So in a way, it's sort of like uh, we submit to do because it's an action and we submit to do it because it's something that God wants us to do. Is that clear? So when we study Torah, we're totally one and bound up with God. When we do a mitzvah, we're, we're a, a vehicle to God's, um, to God's oneness, but we're not totally bound up in one with God because it's something external. It's an action. The act, in the act, you're bound up. But the action is not you. In the learning of Torah, that your brain now becomes changed. You see the world differently. You see it as God sees the world because you're learning Torah. His wisdom becomes your wisdom. So we, there's an actual change in the mind and even ultimately in the heart. But after putting on tefillin, the tefillin doesn't change. And my arm didn't change. Why? Because it's on me. It's not in me. Is that clear? Yeah? Any questions on that? I mean, we've learned uh, these ideas before. Okay. 
So what comes out is in the relationship that we have with Hashem, he gives us two elements. That which is an infinite quality of him, Torah, that allows us to unite and be bound up with him in an infinite way. But then there is what he needs and desires. And that is, do this for me. I need this from you. The mitzvah. I need this from you to do this. Through that, um, we're fulfilling his need. Okay? So let's take this now back to the Mishkan. As we said, the Mishkan is a reflection of our connection to Hashem as God dwells in every single one of us in the Mishkan. So it reflects the, the various elements of this relationship. So we have the Ark that contains the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the Torah element of our relationship with God, the profound spiritual infinite quality of God that we have a very intimate face-to-face internalizing a part uh, uh, of God's wisdom that becomes a part of us that now we are bound up and really not only know him but bound up and connected with him in a very deep way and this is in the holiest place right in expressed, interestingly, in a very magnificent way. How so? So the ark, I mean, sorry, the, uh, the, the Holy of Holies was 20 amas wide. And if you measured from the side of the ark to the side of the ark, it was 10 amas and 10 amas. The problem is that the ark was one and a half amas. So if you have 10 and 10 and one and a half, and yet from side to side, it was 20. So some people might say that's called an optical illusion. Really what it was, as the sages say, that the Ark of the Covenant had a measure, because you measured it as one and a half. And then you measure from the side to the wall was 10 and from the other side 10 but then when you measure from wall to wall it was 20. what happened so it had measure and it was without measure at the same time now why why is that why is god doing that is because that's the uniqueness of torah that it is infinite beyond and yet there's a measure to it right How's there a measure? Well, when we learn it, we learn the law, and like in my in Rambam, that the law of you know uh, two litigants arguing about something, and here this is what the law is, or the law of uh, you know we're learning now the laws of um, of a robber or you know lost objects and so on and so forth. Or if you're learning you know the the will of God as it is in Tanya that we learn every every day, it is 
something that has a measure to it, right? It has a definitive um, understanding of it. And yet at the same time, it's infinite because it's God's infinite wisdom. So that's reflected in the Holy of Holies. And that's why learning Torah is such a divine experience that it really touches the core the core of uh, our, our soul in such a deep bond that there's no bond like that at all. Is that clear? Yeah? Okay. At the same time, that's only a part of the home of God, right? There's another part of the home of God, and that's the rest of the Mishkan. And the rest of the Mishkan is made from different physical materials to make it the sanctuary for God. And there, what is the ultimate part of that sanctuary is actually the sacrifices that we bring on the altar, which itself also had many manifestations, you know, that were miraculous. But not that the uh, physical materials themselves became godly in a supernatural way. It was just, you know, um, a very lofty experience. So, the rest of the, the Mishkan expresses physical things that needed to be expressed by ultimately bringing an offering in this Mishkan that would bring atonement to an individual down in this world. So if the law, if, if, if the Torah is such a lofty bond and supernatural one with God, what's the point of the mitzvahs? What's the point of the mitzvahs? Anybody? You should know this. We've learned this in many times. Well, then I may get it wrong, but it's proof. Proof two. Um, you know, it's acting out our connection, our understanding, you know, and. Um, Good. Okay. So. Of course, we will do, and then we will understand. Right. Okay. But I, I said that God needed us to do these things. Why does he need us to do these things? It, 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 why isn't it sufficient that we just study Torah? And we can um, and we can connect in this lofty, sublime way. This is um, is it along the lines that uh, we have to, as we talk about it in Tanya, we have to, you know, arouse from below. And when we bring this arousal from below by keeping the mitzvah, then we then can receive more understanding within Torah. In our study. So then the mitzvah is for the sake of Torah, you were saying? Yes. Okay. Mm, not quite. Almost. Does the mitzvah, well, like Diana said, from 
from Tanya. Don't we draw down? I mean, in order for God to, to dwell here, we need to draw down. Ah, okay, you, you, you said a word that, you, you, that exactly is the correct word. God wants a dwelling place in this low world. That's his need. My need is to connect. His need is that he should be connected here. So my need is to connect to him. So I want to have the most sublime connection. That's going to be Torah. And that's reflected in the Holy of Holies that you have the Ark of the Covenant there that had a measure and yet was without measure. It was miraculous. So likewise, when we study Torah, there's something, a miracle that happens to us. We change. Think about it. Think about it. How does a person, we change. How can we change? person changes you study torah yes slowly but surely we change why it's because of the intimate connection that you have with god that his wisdom becomes imparted and part in, in, in integrated into your mind that you start seeing the world that he sees the world the way he sees it that's very intimate that's a very profound connection and there is change that is made whether you like it or not it's going to happen some quicker some not as quick but but change will be the mitzvah is not about me as much changing because actions is not the real me what's the real me what's the real me in the mind and the heart right that's the the character of the person now, once you change that, then of course, then will come the actions will also be different as a result, right? Because the change comes, as we all know, from within. So the mitzvah is God's thing that he needs, that he needs in order that he should have an abode in this world, which that's what he wants and he desires for whatever reason, because that's what he wants. Altenevus says in Tanya chapter 36, we're coming there, not too far away. It is well-known statement. Our rabbis declared the purpose of the world was created that the Holy One, blessed be, desired an abode in the low realms, a dear as it's called in Hebrew, uh, dwelling in this low, in the low realms. The divine act of creation culminated in the creation of the physical, crass world. This world is the lowest degree. There is none lower than in, in terms of concealment of God's light. No other form of existence compares to the abject darkness of this world. Nowhere else is God's light so concealed. Our, our grandparents, great-grandparents, grandparents are probably, uh, you know, in Gan Eden, the, the light's not concealed is it, as it is over here. This world is filled with klipas and sitaracher, which actually oppose God, saying, I exist and there's nothing else besides me so torah is amazing because it allows me to have that deep profound intimate connection with god that is truly enjoyable to the to the neshama right yet the true value 
of that study is that's going to facilitate the ultimate goal. And what's the ultimate goal? Doing the mitzvah. Because the ultimate goal is to make a dwelling place for God in this world. So whereas not that the mitzvah facilitates the Torah, the Torah facilitates the mitzvah. As the Talmud tells us, a well-known argument in the Talmud, Rabbi Tarfan and the elders, elder sages were once gathered in the upper chamber of, the, of Nitzah's house in Lod. The question was raised, what is greater, the study of Torah or the performance of mitzvahs? Rabbi Tarfan proclaimed, performance of mitzvahs is greater importance. Rabbi Kiva proclaimed, the study of Torah is of greater importance. All of the assembled then proclaimed, the study of Torah is greater, of, of greater importance because Torah study brings one to the performance of mitzvahs. Why is Torah study greater? Because it brings us to do the mitzvah. Now with this, we can go back and we can understand Betzalel Bet comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and he says to him, what does he say? Actually, before we go to Betzalel, I'm sorry. We had a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. Rambam says the most important thing is the offerings on the altar, the mitzvah that's done with that, because making a dwelling place for God using the physical of this world is the most important. That's true. That's a very physical act of taking an animal, bringing it as an offering. That's the mitzvah is the most important thing. The Ramban says, no, 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 the Torah study is the most important. Right? And we have the debate in the Talmud between the two. And therefore he says the most important element of the Mishkan was the Ark of the Covenant where the Torah is. And this is the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and Betalel. Remember, Betalel said, why would you make the Mishkan first and then the Ark of the Covenant thereafter? That would be disrespectful for the Torah. What does he mean by that? So he's saying like this, based on what we just learned. Torah needs to come first. Why? Make us do mitzvahs. Because it's greater, because right, it will lead us to do the mitzvah. Exactly. So he says, no, no, you need the ark, you need the ark of the, the, the ark of the covenant, because you need that first, because then that will lead you to the mitzvah. The study will bring you to doing the mitzvah. So therefore he says, right, that's what you should do first. In other words, in the relationship that we have with Hashem, we need both things. So we need to study to have that deep connection, but ultimately that deep connection has to lead to doing the mitzvah. Because if it doesn't lead to doing the mitzvah, then we've missed the point of the study of Torah. Because the deep connection will be ultimately that it leads to doing 
what God needs from us. And that is the mitzvah, the physical act of the mitzvah. Let's understand that in human terms. It's wonderful to get to know somebody. Right? Ashidach in our world is an amazing thing. We check out, it's like for our son or for our daughter, whoever, we check out the other prospect to see if it's fitting. And then if we feel that it's fitting, we bring it up to our child, child, I mean, they're an adult, to our adult child, <laughs> still a child, our child at least, <laughs> and discuss it. And if they feel it's, it sounds great, then they'll go out. What happens? You get to know each other, you do, and you get to know when it's you're enamored. Wow, I really got to know this person and amazing. This one's for me. But, and that's wonderful. It's happened for each and every single one of us that needs it, whoever needs a shidduch. But then you got to know the person and you get to know the person when you get married. And that's why the first year, called Shana Rishayna, the first year, you know, and at times, uh, uh, um, in times in Israel where there would be a Jewish army, you would be exempt from the Jewish army because you have, a, uh, you know, you, you're still in your first year of marriage. But ultimately, getting to know the other is really like, as they say in French, it's a pleasure for yourself, right? So you go out on a walk and you go out on a date or you whatever it is. It's the pleasure that you're having to get to know this person. You're getting to know them, understand them, right? And then in marriage also, but that's wonderful. But where is the real test of marriage or for that matter, any relationship? Am I ready to do for them what's important for them and put aside myself or, or not? or not. So studying Torah is amazing. That's getting to know God, right? You have a date every week, 6.30 on Sunday, getting to know God. You have a date every morning, 9.30 in the morning, and many other times that you choose to, to study Torah, right? That you get an intimate connection with God. But where is the real test of the relationship if I'm able to put myself aside and do what God's needs are. My soul wants to know, wants to feel, right? But the real test is, what am I going to do <laughs> with that knowledge? What am I going to do with what God needs and wants from me? The mitzvah that needs to be done. And that's the real uh, test of the relationship. That's why the Talmud says, great is Torah study. It's greater. It's greater because it's more intimate connection. Great is knowing your, your beloved. It's, it's great. And, if, and it's very uplifting, spending time, deeper connection. 
But it, what's its greatness? That it will bring you to the mitzvah to do. Because then we do what the other one needs. God needs the mitzvah. He wants the tefillin. He wants the mezuzah. He wants 600, uh, 613 mitzvahs for, for the Jew, seven Noahide laws for the non-Jew. And that's what God needs. And uh, when we're able to put ourselves aside to do that, then we know that we're in a good, healthy relationship with God Almighty. And when we can do that in our relationships, then we know we're in a good and healthy place in our relationships. Chaim, any questions? Any? So did the Jews get it wrong at Mount Sinai? Shouldn't they said, we'll get to know you, then we'll do? Um, no, because ultimately that's how you have to go into the relationship. Good question, Andrew. Very good. In other words, that's how going into the relationship, right? You need to know that you're ready to put aside, you know, to, um, to set, to put yourself aside for the needs of the other. So we will do even if we don't understand. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't understand. And it doesn't mean, in other words, we're not, um, we're not going to limit ourselves that we must understand, then we will do. That being said, we should try to understand because then our doing will be a better doing. Right? So in other words, not Savinishma, we will do and then we will understand is about the commitment to the relationship. I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm ready to put aside. Um, I'm ready to do that, right? But that doesn't mean that therefore I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to do the mitzvah before I understand the mitzvah. Yeah, we, you know, learn Torah and then daven, you know, so then your davening is going to be different, right? But it, it's, I'm not going to, oh, oh, once I'll understand, I'll do... What that's saying is once I'll understand, then I'll do it, right? Here, what we're saying is great is Torah. It's greater because it will lead you to do. So, so the, 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 uh, the commitment is, even if I don't understand, I will be committed. However, that being said, the more you do understand, the more heartfelt and greater will be the commitment to do. So it's not, it's, it, it's, it, it's like accenting a different, you know, point. Does that make sense? A good question, excellent question. Excellent question. Um, that actually made me think about uh, how it says that God loves the convert. Does he love the planet Earth? How God loves the convert. Oh, the convert. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But I'm 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 not clear where that came into this conversation. How did oh, you be, how, how did you get segue to that? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> it's because what, it's of true what you said, but I don't follow the uh, the the segue. 
because of uh, what you were just talking about right now, um, it's kind of like, you know, the convert wouldn't actually, it's like the convert would be looking from the outside in. You know, they wouldn't but, actually. But once someone converts, they're not on the outside anymore. They're on the inside. Right, right. That's that's true. But I, I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. So they're they're not on the outside. They're on the inside. Um, yeah. Okay. What about the balance? And maybe this is too general, and you have to get specific guidance in your own for your own situation, but. You know, like even in a marriage, <clears throat> and then you know, with all these commandments, when we're learning about all of them, not all of us, you know, grow into, grow up with it. So we're figuring out what can we do, and you know, um, you know. So, so how do we, how do we, you know, so how do we balance between the various things that? the other wants, maybe I guess maybe that's the difference, wants or needs us to do. And right. um, we want to do, we're committed to do, but right. can't kind of, I mean, it, it feels like a lot or too much or, you know what I mean? That, so anyway, that might be too general of a question. Um, so I think the, the primary guideline for that, uh, very good question, Ahuva. I think the primary guideline for that would be uh, appropriate, inappropriate, right and wrong. In other words, if, if, if what you've been asked by a loved one to do is inappropriate, you know, then, okay, so then it doesn't belong. But if it's their mishugas, right? This is their, their mishigas. This is their, you know, this is their craziness, right? They love, uh, you know, uh, they love having popcorns six days a week. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you have to run out and go get them some popcorn. <laughs> I don't know why I said that idea. <laughs> you know, but it's their craziness. But you know, it's popcorn. You know. <laughs> Not bacon, you know. <laughs> right? And and that's their craziness. Okay. You know. Um, now, if you can't do it for whatever reason, you can't do it because you have something else that you have a responsibility to, but you know, and you can't do it so fine. So, you know, Uber eats the popcorn, you know. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know where that line would be drawn, except for appropriate, inappropriate, you know, the bacon versus the popcorn, um, you know, doing something, you know, whatever that's, something that we sh you shouldn't do um and uh, but if it's something that a person just you know that's a little mishigas that they have to what degree you know that's a good question 
you know. Uh, they they uh, you know they love uh, you know uh, very expensive uh, Rolexes doesn't mean you have to you know uh, every uh, every month buy another Rolex you know for sure not I mean unless you own Rolex so then <laughs> um, you know it is I mean if it's a person's uh, like you said, needs or wants, but it, we have to be careful with that. You know, sometimes they may not, it, it, it may not be a real need of theirs, but because of their um, hole in their soul, you know, but if you give them what they want but maybe they don't need maybe that will help to fill the soul when you can do that lovingly so when we do a mitzvah for god it's his needs what we do it lovingly we don't do it with a ball and chain right all right it's your thing uh, you know i'm not into this hey, god you want the tefillin okay we don't do it that way we are very happy to do your thing, God. We're more, we're thrilled to do it. The same thing is for a loved one. I'm thrilled to do this. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be buying popcorn six days a week. I'm just not my thing. But if, you, if that's going to make you happy, right? Not, I don't know if that's, I don't even know if that's the right word, if that's going to make you happy. I don't, I don't know. Let's not say that. If that's what you want. So, okay. And that's not really what they want in the human condition, right? Not on popcorn. They want your love. They want your devotion. So if you do it devoted lovingly, you know what problem might happen? Maybe they just don't need the popcorn anymore. Now, that's not the case with God, though. God will always need our mezuzah, tefillin, our Shabbos candles, our kosher. He's always going to need and want that, right? God's not coming for the desire of that because he's lacking something. He wants that ultimately beyond you know, it's not a rational want. It's just because he wants. How much does he want it? He wants it infinitely. So why? Because he's infinite. So what he wants, he wants infinitely. He needs it infinitely, right? When I need something, right? If I need the popcorn, I don't need it infinitely. So it could diminish over time. I really, it wasn't the popcorn that I needed. Wow, you're so lovingly devoted. That's all I needed. But that's in a human condition will happen. So maybe that the popcorn is going to be fall off the radar, right? Because the hole in my soul was filled by the fact that you were devoted in a loving way, not ball and chain, because that won't fill the hole in my soul. But did it lovingly so that can fill the hole in one's soul. 
but for God that he doesn't have a hole in the soul. <laughs> he just wants, because he wants, because he wants, he, he does, that's what he desires, period, as in he desires that, not because it's of a lack, but, but because he desires it, he desires it infinitely. It's not like, you know, all right, so, you know, you did it, you know. No, 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 no. It, 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 it's a true infinite desire that he has that he wants the Jew to keep kosher. He wants the Jew to keep Shabbos. That's what he wants, infinitely so. Um, does that make a little more sense? Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then I guess in terms of the relationship with God, and as we're doing things with a full heart, you know, really driven to do it, and 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 right. and finding ways to be able to do it, but then finding other things more difficult to sort of do, and and there's a a real like you know dilemma. Challenge. So does that just mean, yeah, so does that just mean we're not ready? Um, or perhaps maybe it just means we're growing and we're now into a different place than we were previously. You know, before our challenge was down here and now that we've grown through that, our challenge is in a much more refined place, which I'm sure, you know, we all see that, you know, uh, if we were impatient people before, the more Torah we've learned and the more we're able to, to do what God needs from us, the, the more patient we become. Does that mean that there still might be a challenge? It might be a challenge in that, but it's going to be much more refined. It's not going to be as obvious uh, in that area, or it might just be in another area in our lives that now comes to the fore because that area is, you know, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've mastered it in a, more so than we previously did. So there will become new challenges and that will be, you'll see, things change in a relationship, things change in, in our lives and that bring up new issues and new challenges that we need to now address that maybe before we didn't. Why? Because that means that we're ready for it, actually. The fact that it is a challenge. If it's not a challenge, then it won't come our way. If it is a challenge, that means it came our way. Oh, if it came our way, who brought it there to us? We didn't look for it. God said, okay, Oh, well, yeah, you, you can deal with this now. Ah, uh, we feel, you know, me, I need money. I'm a who am I? I'm too small for this. Yeah, sometimes God feels we're, we're bigger than what we think we are. And uh, I keep remembering the from the last class, the JLI one, everything is divinely orchestrated on purpose for a purpose. <laughs> Exactly, on purpose, for a purpose, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
Well said. Thank right. you. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? All right, beautiful. All right. Uh, good tavoch, everybody. Michael, go get some sleep. I have a very simple question, oh, Rabbi. Go ahead, go ahead, please. Very simple question. Where is it always bothers me? Where is the holy of holies in relationship to the ark? The ark is in the holy of holies. What is the you mean the cabinet where the ark is? Where the no, where no, the no. Holy of holies is is um well, I, I'm sorry, I don't have a pic, a, a diagram over here, but you have the holies where you have the menorah, you have the table with the showbread, and you yeah. have the inner altar that's made from, uh, plated with gold, where the incense would be offered there. Right. Uh, the, uh, there was a daily service there, right? Right. But that's on a daily place. The Holy of Holies, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol goes there once a year on Yom Kippur, and that's right. it. That's it. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. In the uh, Ark of the Covenant is the broken tablets, is the second tablets, first broken tablets, second tablets, and a Torah scroll. Okay, so the Ark of the Covenant is just the is just the cupboard, really. Yeah, okay. I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the Holy of Holies. I guess you could call space. it that. It's so a cabinet. The Holy of the cabinet. Holies is a, is a space just outside of the cabinet. The holy, the holy of holies is where the cabinet is. Beyond okay, the I got it. It's okay. where the cabinet is. Okay, because then there is a curtain, right? There's a curtain that separates the holy of holies and the holy. Exactly. Right. You got. Which it. is the holy? Which is the holy? You separates holy of holies separates from the holy. Right. The holy is where the uh, the candelabra, the table with the show with the bread. Oh, okay. And where the inner altar is made from gold, where the incense would be offered. Oh, there, that's that's, so that's a daily place. That's a daily place that that the coin gold or even a coin can go there and do the service. Thank you so much. I was so confused. Okay, yes. good. good. Glad you got you. that. Good. All right. That was. Uh, good night. Uh, Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks folks. for the class. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi. 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 Thank you, Rabb